Today on Watching Your Wealth, don't let other investors make up your mind. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Jason Zweig writes the Intelligent Investor column for the Wall Street Journal, and he's also author of several best-selling books about money. Welcome back, Jason. Good to be with you, Veronica. Great to have you. So, Jason, you say we shouldn't let other investors make up our minds. And some of our listeners will say, excuse me, Jason, but I don't. But you say some evidence may suggest otherwise. Tell us. Yes, I think most of us will say that we don't. But that doesn't mean we're all right about that. So there was a recent uh, fascinating experiment done by a team of neuroscientists in Europe and the U.S., And what they did is they asked people to make simple choices about um, essentially picking red or green marbles out of an urn. And the question was, how would you base your prediction? Would you predict that the next one would be red or green based on your own experience of pulling marbles out of the urn or based on what other people said they got? And it turned out that knowing what other people had gotten – if they were confident that they knew what was next, had a bigger influence on your decision than your own experience. It's fascinating. How could they tell someone was confident? Well, in this experiment, that was measured uh, in two ways. One was by the facial expression of the other people you were paying attention to, and um, the other was how quickly they made up their minds. And if you think about it in the real world, that's not a bad way to measure confidence. Oh, indeed. So if someone smiles at you or gives you a quick answer, you're probably going to think they're more confident. And the reason I say that, not only because I read your article, but also because when I ask someone directions on the street, if they answer me quickly and say it with a smile, I'm like, Mm -hmm. this person must know what they're doing. Exactly. I mean, we all know from our experience that People who hesitate or mumble or, you know, otherwise don't seem to know what they're doing probably don't. On the other hand, if you think about it for a minute, you realize maybe we're jumping to conclusions because often in life the best answers to questions come after you think about the question for longer. You need to think a little bit on your own (laughs) indeed or a lot on your own. So break it down for us further. How could this hurt investors if you're just following what the other investor, what marble they pick out or what mutual Mm -hmm. fund they pick out or stock they pick out? Well, it's very well known that crowd or herding behavior can be harmful. I mean, that's how we got the internet bubble in 1999. To some extent, it's how we got the housing bubble in the mid-2000s, and some parts of the world are going through their own housing bubbles right now. You you want to be able to rely to some extent on other investors to set the price of financial assets, but you want to be skeptical about it, and you always want to sort of think twice before you go along with the crowd. That's a good advice. I'm wondering, some people may say, you know, but how does my financial advisor fit into all this? Because he or she seems confident. They seem like they know know what they're doing. Should I just kind of defer to them in these sorts of decisions? Well, you certainly want a financial advisor who is confident, at least confident about the right things. You know, if you have a tax question, for example, you want a financial advisor who 
not only will take the time to come up with the right answer, but will be reasonably confident that the answer is correct <laughs> because you don't really want yeah. the IRS no. auditing you or, or any other problems. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't want your financial advisor to be confident about things that don't have objective yes or no black or white answers. I mean, if you ask the, your financial advisor, is the stock market going to go up this year? And your financial advisor says, absolutely, it's going to go up 18 <laughs> percent. I mean, that's a pretty good clue that that person's confidence might not be um, something to, you can rely on in that scenario. Now, financial advisors are never supposed to guarantee anything, but I just want to play devil's advocate in their defense for a second. They'll say, so often investors look to us because they want to feel better about themselves. They want that reassurance. And so we try to sound confident. So how does that all sort of fit together if you're the investor? Well, I have, I've long advocated that financial advisors should be confident about things they can be confident about, but should be much more willing to embrace uncertainty in the things that rationally they shouldn't either feel confident about or project confidence in. And if I were a financial advisor and my client were to ask me, what is the stock market going to do this year? I would say, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. Then that's why we would hire you as a financial advisor. I, I like that honesty because that is really the only real uh, answer. Right now, the, the market, especially since uh, President Trump, since Trump won, enjoy, you know, it, it's doing pretty well. People are feeling pretty good. We're seeing a lot of average investors go in and they're following the confidence of other people. Is this a bit of a risk for people right now or more so than before? Well, definitely. I think the big risk that people run is making a, a large or sudden change in their financial or investing plans based on what other people are doing or the feelings that other people are projecting. I mean, you should become more enthusiastic about future stock returns based on your own logic, not based on what other people are signaling. And that's especially true in the long term. In the short term, the crowd is usually right at least for a little while. The problem is that in the long run, it usually turns out to be wrong. <laughs> That's true. All right, Jason, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to know what other advice you have for folks on becoming independent thinkers when it comes to their investment. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. News on the go. Whenever you want it, wherever you want it. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. We're speaking with intelligent investor columnist Jason Zweig on how to be a smart, independent investor. So, Jason, how can we make sure we're making the best decisions for our own financial situation and not following the herd, as you said? 
Well, I think there's a few simple steps people can take, Veronica. One is Warren Buffett and his business partner, Charlie Munger, have a wonderful little cognitive tool they call the too hard pile, which is when they're faced with a decision they can't pretty quickly get their arms around, they just throw it out. They say that goes in the too hard pile. So there are a lot of things investors make decisions about where the information they're using might be so imperfect it's not a good idea to to use it as a basis for judgment. People should be more willing to embrace their own ignorance and just say, I really don't know. I'm putting that in the too hard pile. Does that sort of fit in with, you know, don't invest in things you don't understand? Is that a similar Yeah, exactly. But I think if you label it, um, it helps you admit it. Um, If you – I mean – Buffett and Munger have talked about this too hard pile so often that many people who follow them actually visualize it as a thing like a, like the old wooden inboxes people used to have on their office desks. And I don't think they put things in a <laughs> in an actual wooden tray, but it's as if they do because it, it's very it's a very visual concept, and you should be comfortable just saying that goes in my too hard pile. I think the other really useful technique that anyone can implement, financial advisors can, individuals can, individuals working with advisors can, is just the idea of tracking forecasts. Track everybody's forecasts. I think a really useful exercise in January every year is to make predictions about the most commonly followed financial variables. Dow Jones Industrial Average, 10-year Treasury interest rates, inflation, unemployment, uh, whatever you like. Uh, Predict where they'll be at the end of the year. Write it down. If you use this old-fashioned thing called paper, it won't kill you. (laughs) Uh, And I think it's a good idea for investors to do that in conjunction with their financial advisors. And I think it's fine for an advisor to leave it blank or for the investor to leave it blank. But if you really have a view, if you really think the Dow is going to be at 25,000 by year end, write it down. And then next January, look back at your forecasts, yours and your financial advisors, and see, am I, am I any good at this? And if you do it every year, after a while, you'll learn, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not good at, and I shouldn't act on predictions that don't have real validity. Excellent tip. I have to ask you because there's listeners who want to know, are we going to hit Dow 20,000? Well, I have no idea. Um, I think what I would emphasize is that, you know, it's not really a psychologically important threshold as a lot of market commentators have it. I'm not sure there's such a thing as a psychologically important threshold other than zero, (laughs) which is very, very, that that one is very important. Um, But it, the thing investors really need to bear in mind is that markets can go for an amazingly long period of time uh, without exceeding a previous high. I mean, the Dow hit a thousand in the late 1960s. It took, if I remember right, 14 or 16 years to get back to that level. So the tendency when the market hits a threshold like 20,000 is to get excited about it and to project it 
and say, oh, well, the next comes 25,000, then 30,000. And they will come at some point, <laughs> but it might be a long, long time. And it's really about adjusting your expectations so that you don't get carried away with recent momentum. Excellent tips, as always. Thanks for joining yeah. us, Jason. Thanks, Veronica. And this has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of the Wall Street Journal. If you have a question for us, email us at podcasts at dowjones.com. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices.